and welcome to the Black History Month special where we are interviewing American Janie to hear more about what Black History Month means to her. My name is Elise Martin-Smith. I will be your host. I'm a first year at Harvard College and without further ado, let's get into this. Mayor Kim Janey, who are you? Hello, it is so good to be here with you. And it's so uh, interesting that you begin with that question because literally just minutes before I got on this call, I shared who I was uh, on social media and I'm happy to read it to you. And I, I literally say two minutes ago, it says, it's important to know who you are and whose you are. I am a Roxbury girl raised in rich black soil. I am the heiress to God's promise. I am the granddaughter of a Baptist preacher born into a family of educators, artists, entrepreneurs, and activists. I come from a long line of freedom fighters and abolitionists. My people, they come from the South, they come from Guyana, and they come from Nova Scotia via the Underground Railroad. I am the descendant of enslaved ancestors who gave their blood, sweat, and tears and their lives to build this country. I'm also the descendant of military men who also gave their blood, sweat, tears, and their lives to defend and protect this country. I am the daughter of the diaspora. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. I am because we are. I am Black history. So that's what I just shared a, a couple of minutes ago of just having reflected on the last day of Black History Month. Who am I? Uh, and that is what I came up with. So I didn't even know you were going to ask me that question. Wonderful. And you may ask me a thousand times who I am, and it'll be some variation of what I just shared. Well, that is absolutely beautiful. I'm a joy, seek, a joy curator, a justice seeker, a change maker. I am Black history. And I am so grateful for the, the opportunity to connect with you and all those who may watch uh, this interview. Amazing. Uh, kind of in the same vein, you said that you are Black history. So what does Black History Month mean to you? And how do you feel its significance has kind of evolved over your lifetime? Well, it truly has evolved over my lifetime because when I was a very young child, like in kindergarten, first grade, I remember Negro History Week. We didn't have Black History Month. We had Negro History Week. And so to see the elevation or the evolution of Black History Month become something that the entire country recognizes as an important time period to really lift up the, the history, the contributions of not just Black Americans, but Black people all across the world. And as I said earlier, I'm not sure if the record button was on, you know, Black history is every single day. So it cannot be confined to uh, 28 days in February. It is every single day. But also important to understand why we celebrate in uh, February. And this was the brainchild of Carter G. Woodson. I'm sure you know that history. And really, again, trying to elevate the contributions of Black people all across the diaspora. And he chose February in that particular week in February because it is when 
Frederick Douglass's birthday, which is February 14th, and Abraham Lincoln, which I believe is February 12th, where their birthday is kind of connected. So he chose that week and then it grew from a week to a month. And here we are knowing that Black history is 365 days a year. Yes, absolutely. It is unfortunately the shortest month of the year, but we kind of treat it like it's not just a month because it's not just a month. It is always. I also wanted to ask what kind of you're definitely an inspiration for so many young girls and women and everybody today. But I'd love to hear a little bit about who inspired you and who do you think paved the way? You know, so many people have poured into my life throughout my journey. And so certainly I will lift up my family and the community that raised me. There were a number of folks like my grandmother in particular, who was very influential in my life. I had uh, mentors along the way, college professors who poured into me, supervisors at work who poured into me. So I had a number of mentors along the way. And then, you know, saw the examples of other trailblazing women who dared to dream, who dared to, to put themselves out there to make things better for everyone else. And so, you know, I lift up a number of women like uh, Ella Jo Baker, like Angela Davis, like Fannie Lou Hamer. These women inspire me to this day. I think they are amazing. And oftentimes people either don't know who they are or don't truly understand all that they have done. So there are so many uh, like that who have poured into me that I really pay homage to. And I'm so grateful that they have paved the way. And I think it's important for us, you know, this next generation to do the same to each generation to kind of give back and, and lift as we climb. I love that. And I mean, you are an inspiration for many. You were the first woman and first black mayor of the city of Boston. What did that position mean to you? And also, what was one of the most rewarding things about that role? Yeah, and I'll start there. The most rewarding thing about being mayor of a city is being in a position to help so many people. And there's probably no other job, you know, other than like a governor or president where you are in a position as an executive to impact the lives of so many Um, And so being able to help, particularly in a time of crisis, was really gratifying. And it there was never a dull moment. There was so much work to do, because for me, I also knew that my charge was to make sure that we were creating a better Boston, that we were creating a Boston that was more equitable and more just and that more people had opportunity that had been denied to them prior to that. And, And the historic nature of me being mayor was also a really big deal. You know, it's the city of Boston at that time, 199 years of having mayors and never having a woman mayor, never having a person of color, never having a black mayor was just groundbreaking. And particularly in a city like Boston, when so many other cities have not only had black mayors, but it had multiple Black mayors or multiple women mayors. And so it was, it was, I felt really grateful to be that first and to make sure that I was not the last. Absolutely. And I'm sure that in a role like that, there were definitely a bunch of challenges that you had to face. And burnout, I think, is one of the biggest 
challenges, especially when you're fighting for racial justice, when you're trying to break barriers and break boundaries, I feel like that's such a difficult thing. So how do you continue to take care of yourself within these demanding roles and stay motivated? You know, that is such an important question. And I'm so glad you framed it that way because I thought you were just going to talk about burnout. But the the real issue is how we take care of ourselves and the importance of self-care and what I would even dare to say radical self-care, like being very clear about boundaries, making sure that you are taking time, being mayor of the city of Boston, particularly last year, you know, during a time of what felt like uncertainty of so many crises happening all at once. It was so important to make sure that I I also took time for myself. I didn't get a lot of it. The workload is such and the schedule is such like it was an 80 hour, you know, work week nonstop, just constantly going. And so I didn't have like weekends or days off, but just little moments with my granddaughter uh, or my, you know, going to a sporting event, seeing my grandsons, spending time with my mom or my daughter or just family members every now and again, you know, sneaking off to get my nails done. That was great. Sometime being able to spend with family or, or friends that I'm not able to see as much. And so how to build those relationships right into my, my schedule was very important. And it is something that it's so important for women in particular to understand we are off, particularly women of color and black women, like we are always taking care of other people. And so the need to take care of ourselves, you know, when you take a flight and they're going through the safety precautions, they always tell you, put your face mask on first. And that is so important. Put it on because you can't help anybody else if you were burnt out, to your point. So it's so important that we take care of ourselves and that we give ourselves permission and that we give ourselves grace to do so. Because even when we recognize that we need to take care of ourselves, oftentimes we feel guilty and we won't do it because there's too much work to be done. So we need to give ourselves that grace and and take time, put our masks on and take time for radical self-care and joy. Joy was also a big part of of getting through last year. I I even launched a joy agenda because, again, the burnout is real. The trauma is real. And it's important to create space and opportunity for joy. So that was another strategy that we used. Yeah, I love that so much. I think that, like you were saying, you had like a joy agenda and you've had so many different initiatives that you have really pioneered in the past in your entire career. And so I want to kind of give you the space to talk about that a little bit. What are some of the initiatives that you're most proud of? You know, um, our work around equity and, and that span that that covered so many different topics, so many different issues, so many different areas that impact people's daily lives. And so our housing agenda was really robust. You know, the investments we made, I, in my very first week, I invested $5 million in rental relief because so many folks were still having a hard time due to COVID-19. But it wasn't just about, you know, helping people stay in apartments. We wanted to help people live out the American dream. We wanted to close the racial wealth gap. So, you know, our investments in home ownership and quadrupling down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. The approach 
that we used when it came to COVID and getting vaccines out. Again, always using an equity lens and prioritizing poor communities of color. When we looked at climate change and we had important legislation that we got passed through the the city council on climate change, another area that impacts poor people of color disproportionately. And so in all of these areas, leading with an equity lens, using my own lived experience to help inform our decisions were very unique to my tenure as mayor of Boston. And so I'm really proud of the work that we got done. We invested in the arts and, and, you know, so many areas, education, our largest budget to date with historic investments. And we had the benefit also of having resources from the federal government that could really help us make a difference. I launched free a free bus and I chose a bus route that, again, showed that disproportionate impact in terms of what it meant to be workers and poor communities of color. And now the next administration, Mayor Wu, has extended that, expanded that. So it's great to see the seeds that we planted bear good fruit. And I also love the idea that like, there's more diversity, hopefully continuing as we move forward, hopefully in initiatives and also in who represents us, who exactly in the office. And we want to make, how do you think is the best way to help encourage more Black women and more people of color to run for office and also to break down the very big barriers to getting into office? What are what's some of your advice? Yeah, so I think representation is so critically important. It's why as mayor of Boston, I had the most diverse cabinet up until that point. We had a record number of women of color serving in my cabinet. I had six women of color serving in my cabinet. We had never had six women of color. We probably had the most women ever in in our cabinet. Representation matters. We need to see more women run, especially women of color, especially Black women. Unfortunately, the mayor's race last year was very hard on Black women. So the first thing we need to do is listen to Black women, trust Black women, follow Black women when Black women are leading. And too many times we question Black women, we doubt Black women, we, you know, whatever we do, we're not supportive. So we need to be supportive. We need to recognize that leadership and the importance of Black women and what they contribute to their communities, to their cities. And then when Black women decide to run, or women of color, we've got to support them. And we've got to support them with our time. It can't be, oh, well, I have this, you know, you have to be sacrificial with your time. Yes, there. maybe you want to go bowling with your friends, but rather than going bowling with your friends, maybe you have to make some phone calls to get other volunteers to come or to contact voters to let them know what's at stake with this election. So you want to support them with your time. You also want to support them with your talent, whatever skills that you have that you can contribute to a campaign. Maybe you're a great writer and you want to be the comms person on this campaign. Maybe that can be your big contribution. And then finally is your treasure. So it's your time, talent, and your treasure. Your treasure clearly is your money. And again, you've got to be sacrificial in your giving. $25 isn't going to cut it. Now, you guys are in college. Maybe that's going to cut it for you guys. So I do want to recognize people are on a a limited budget. 
But if it's that $25 that you can give, make sure you give it again next month. Give it again the month after that. So if, if it's a low amount, it can all add up if you continue to give. And if you can't give with your money, you've got to give with your time. And the money is important because you can't pay your staff. You can't print your materials. You can't send your mail. You can't do any of those things. So you have to raise the money. But the other piece that's important, particularly for women candidates, especially women of color candidates, is having that support system that allows them to run in the first place. So you need a support system because if you've got to take time off of work to run your campaign, if you need, if you have children and you need people to help with the children as you're running, it takes a lot out of you and it's well worth it. So I certainly encourage people to do it. It's a, it's a lot of work, but the difference that you can make in office, should you be successful in your race, is so, so incredibly important and gratifying. But even if you don't win, it is that much more encouragement for the next little girl who's coming along. And so making sure that we're doing everything to support women candidates is so, so important. We've seen in the last 10 years, particularly the last five years, uh, just this burst of, of women who are running, who are winning their races, As I served as mayor, there were seven other Black women serving as mayors of major cities. So there were eight of us total. Now there's only six Black women mayors. So we we don't want to be moving backwards. We want to keep moving forward. So I definitely want to be that voice to encourage anyone who is listening to certainly consider running for office, whether it's mayor, state rep, city council. There are so many positions, school boards. There's lots of ways you can contribute. And you can also run a campaign. So maybe you're not running for office. Maybe you want to be that queen maker. You can run a campaign. And so I encourage people to get involved. Get in where you fit in. Find whatever your sweet spot is. Get in there and do it. Finding finding your place, finding your purpose is always, especially as a college student, that's what we're all searching to do. And it's nice when we have role models to look up to that help make this seem more approachable. And I'm sure in your positions, those doubts, those obstacles, they never end. The imposter syndrome, that continues. So I just wanted to ask, did you ever face any, uh, how did you overcome some of these obstacles that you faced even while you were in office? So you started to say, did you face? Absolutely, indeed, all the time. So one, there's just obstacles. When you're leading a major city, there are always going to be folks who, yeah, we don't want to do that or we don't like that. So there's always going to be some sort of opposition. You're never going to make everybody happy. And that certainly is the case as, as you lead. But for me in particular and many other women, there are the added Uh, challenges that come with the work because of sexism, because of racism. And so I also had to deal with that. And it came in all forms. It it came from people. It came from organized groups. It came from media. It came from all over. And so this is why it's important. I want to go back to your earlier question around how do you take care of yourself and how do you deal with burnout? This is another reason why it is so critically important to have that support system to make sure that you're taking time for radical self-care because the attacks, the, the hits, they will keep 
coming at you, particularly if you are a woman, a woman and a woman of color, and especially if you're a black woman. Yeah, see, I switched my question because I was like, of course, it's not. Did you face them? Of course, <laughs> exactly. you faced those obstacles. Of course I did. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But how? Exactly. Exactly. And so speaking of like how I want to ask and kind of bring it back into Black History Month, we have talked about the struggles. We have talked about the celebration. And so what I want to ask is so much of Black History Month is about honoring and continuing the legacy of Black leaders that have paved the way like you did. And so what do you want your legacy to be, incorporating all of the high and lowest points? Oh, wow. What a great question. Part of that legacy, I want to be, you know, an open door where more and more women are coming through the door. So part of that legacy is really uh, paving the way for other women, for especially Black women. Part of that legacy is just what we were able to do in such a short period of time. So in eight months, we were able to do like eight years worth of work. Like it was incredible. And I think the pandemic added to this sense of urgency. Like we've got to get this work. Like people were literally dying. And so we had to have a deep, deep sense of urgency as we approach this work. And, you know, I think we made a real difference when it comes to equity in our city. And so, again, planting those good seeds and having a bountiful harvest, I think, is an important legacy. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Is there anything else that you would like to leave just to end off this interview? You know, I just want to, again, share my appreciation, you know, for you and all of the the students here. I have had a wonderful time at the Institute of Politics here at the Harvard Kennedy School, engaging with so many talented, smart, young people who I know will continue to contribute to our community, our city, our commonwealth, our country. And I'm really excited. I want to continue to see you guys grow and thrive to be a resource for you. I certainly hope uh, folks watching will consider running for office. It is so important. It is an important way of shaping policy and really impacting the day-to-day lives of, of all the people in our community and all those who we care about. So I'm just excited and I'm grateful to be here and to see so many young people who are committed and, and care about our country. And I'm just, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. So thank you. I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here to connect with you guys. And I'm just excited. I can't wait to see what you guys do. Thank you so much.